You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. It's a quick turnaround for USC this week as they face Washington State at home on a Friday, meaning tomorrow or today if you're listening to this on your drive to the game, which is probably in traffic. <laughs> but USC is coming off their straight, uh, their second straight loss. It's tough times for USC and Trojan fans, uh, but we'll be getting into that. But before, as a reminder, you can f- subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom, And you can also email us questions and submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Shotgun. How are you doing on this Thursday? Oh, evening? my goodness. It's been a whirlwind week and a half, you know, know, driving back from Stanford just to do the live show, go through that week, whatever, and then fly out to Austin Friday at midnight for me, get to Austin Saturday morning. I have an early morning shift for the LA Times, then the game, cover the game, have an early morning shift the next day after staying up till four in the morning. Uh, then we got the emergency podcast, then a Left for a little bit, came back for the live show, then flying back, and then immediately go to practice. Like it, it was just been a, a whirlwind uh, week so far. Today's like the light day, and of th- of this week, and I have a live show, a podcast, and then go to work for eight hours. Okay, well, okay. I asked you how you were doing, and you gave us like a whole itinerary of what you've done. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> no, that's how the, yeah. day, the week has been. I mean, I I wanted to tweet out like short weeks after an away game is gross welcome to my ted talk or like like thanks for coming to my ted talk because it's so gross and like we're not even players and like having to do a physical game but it's gross having a short turnaround like this you keep using the word gross it's gross it's explain gross. i don't explain how it's gross yeah how why are you using the word gross most people think it like oh that food is gross it's like when i'm tired like i'm just like oh it's gross <laughs> So yeah, we we are you know we feel the impact of you know having an away game and coming back for a short week, even though it's a home game. Uh, you know, I can imagine you know what they were going through last week at the same time getting ready for a road game because USC would already have been traveling at this point. Yeah, but you know they eliminated that in the Pac-12. But you see, you know, we feel kind of the impact or the effect of the travel and everything and having the short week. So you know the players are feeling it too. And it's something, you know, we, we talked on our live show about them not going full pads this week. I know a lot of people wanted that, but I think it was the right move just because of you're coming off a game where you had a, a team that ran a lot of plays. Your defensive line had to be out there a lot. Uh, then you come back for a short week. you got you got to prepare for Washington State, which is a completely different offense than any of the teams you face so far and then you play on on Friday against a team that's going to want to go up tempo and run a lot of plays too so I think it was probably the 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 right move not to go full pads this week yeah it's hard it's hard to thread the needle of overworking your players resting them or getting too lax that once USC comes out tomorrow on Friday they're going to be a little slow to to get going so it's hard I I I Maybe you could have gone uh, yeah. full. You could have gone full pads Tuesday. Maybe not necessarily Monday, but then you go backwards. And Helton likes doing the Mondays a Tuesday, Tuesdays a Wednesday, yada yada yada. So I don't know. It's hard. It's difficult to throw the needle for sure. But the main point is, it's it's a tough week for everyone involved with USC football. It's it's a tough turnaround. Um, so I'm curious how that plays into the game. Uh, but shall we get into stock up, stock down? Sure. Uh, stock up. Who you got? 
I'm going to start with JT Daniels. You know, the freshman having to throw 48 times, but I thought uh, one of the things is he made quicker decisions. I talked with Brian Ellis this week, and that was something that he said he's progressed on from month, from his first game to the third game, is that now he's making his decisions a little bit quicker. Uh, I thought that he had a pretty good game. Uh, you know, not spectacular, but I just thought his stock was up after, a, you know, a, not as great of a showing against Stanford. Yeah, we did see some more chemistry with uh, JT and his wide receiver, so that is at least was a, a bright spot coming out of that game. And, of course, Amon Ra, St. Brown is just a beast. Uh, I had stock up on Aka Cedric Ware. And now that's not necessarily something that is a physical performance that deserves a stock up, but I think it's stock up for at least taking ownership, um, being that senior guy. Um, uh, as we've said a million times, probably at this point, Aka Cedric Ware, after the game on, on Saturday, uh, said that kind of called out his fellow teammates and said that they played lazy and slow leading up to uh, against Texas. And and when pressed further, he said, and Stanford too. So he kind of started this whole uh, dialogue. I mean, we already had the dialogue, but it's interesting hearing the dialogue from players of how is practice going? Does practice need to be better? Um, not only practice, but he said, we need an offensive leader. Uh, I'm determined to be one and I'm going to find others. And that's something that you and I actually talked about leading up to the Texas game on this podcast, but that's something that USC is lacking is an offensive leader. Um, it's unfortunate that USC is trying to find one still at this point of the season. I know it's still early, but that's something that you want settled by uh, before the season gets going. So when you do have losses like this, you can have um, some guys step up and try and turn things around. But I think for said to come out and say that um, it's hard to do that. But for him to say that, I think is Admiral and deserves a stock up. That's interesting because that'll be the first ever stock up for a guy who had four carries for eight yards. <laughs> I that's what I'm saying. It's not it's not stock up for his performance or maybe offensive line performance, but uh stock up for leadership. Trying also, to stand up. Also up. to point out that we are, have been looking for a offensive vocal leader. There are yes. there are some leaders in the locker room, but they need somebody that's gonna be fiery, that's gonna get in somebody's ear, uh gonna, you know, you know, be not just be the rah rah guy, or not just be okay. You did a good job. Pat him on the back. You you'd get better next time. But someone to to get in uh, after people uh, when they're when they're struggling out there on the field. I got Valus Jones Jr. Yeah, yeah. Valus had his best performance. Uh, it was kind of baffling that you know they went away from using him as much. They used him for fourteen plays in the first quarter. He played eight plays the rest of the game. Um, so he had four catches for 70, 71 yards, including a 40-yarder. I know that's something they had tried several times last year is to, to try to get him open deep because of his speed. You know, He ran by a defender here uh, in, in that game, and JT found him on that, so a nice 40-yard gain there. He had three other catches for 11 yards, and I think the first one, uh, you know, well, the first pop pass was actually called for penalty, so he didn't get that one on. So he could have had five catches, um, but a career-high yardage, I believe, for Valus Jones there. I thought he had a really good game, and the chemistry seemed to be there um, with him and JT as well. Yeah, I mean, he even seemed like he was feeling it on special teams a little bit. Um, but that begs the question, why not ride the hot hand? Why not? I know Amon Ross and Brown came in in, in third-down situations, but why not try and get more opportunities for Velas? Not sure. I mean, uh, you have three guys that have played the slot with, with Amon Ra kind of uh, switching back and forth between outside and inside in that slot position. But you also have Trayvon Sidney. Trayvon Sidney had a good game against UNLV. Uh, Trayvon Sidney had a catch, I think, against Stanford. So you kind of wonder where it's at there. And Trayvon Sidney, the only time he was thrown to, I believe, was when he stepped out of bounds. And there were four officials there to throw a flag on that one. Yet two plays earlier, Amon Ra had been clearly targeted and there was no flags thrown so not really, only targeted but they like kicked him in the head I, from the sideline i could just see it and i was like this is ridiculous but 
whatever. We'll we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, I had stock up on Jay Tufele, uh watching the film again. And plug, we actually filmed our film session. Shotgun Spartling did a great job. Uh, we hooked up a camera, a mic, and we just put a mic in his face while uh, we were looking at the film again. So you basically got an inside look at what we do every week. Um, you just got to hear Shotgun say it this time. So it's up on the Peristyle. You can check that out. It's actually 18 minutes long, but Shotgun does a great job of breaking down the key plays uh, that happened for USC, what went right, what went wrong. Um, so if you want to check that out, go ahead. It's for VIP members, so check that out on the Peristyle. Good plug. Like uh, yeah, it. yeah. Oh, but my plug was, uh, um, why I plugged that was because when we were watching tape, uh, JJ Feli just stands out. He's one of those guys that Shotgun would be like, whew, he's going to be a great player. And he's already been, been good, but I, I, you just see the potential, potential there in Jay. Yeah. You, you see that there's explosive, uh, you know, explosive burst off the line. He uses his hands really well. There's a couple times where he just threw guys out of the way and was on his way to the quarterback and the quarterback got rid of it quickly. That's the thing with the defense lineman. Like they can, they can have like 10 really good plays in a game, like where they just destroy an offense lineman. And if it's a quick pass or something, you know, they may not even get one pressure in the game. It just depends on the offense. And that's something you're going to see again this week because Washington State is going to throw a lot of quick passes. So with those defense linemen, you know, it can be frustrating when you're facing a team like that and you're like, oh, I just made a really good move. I beat this offense lineman, but I didn't even get a chance to get to the quarterback and get a hit on him. So how do they, how do those guys and their younger guys, how do they respond to that? You know, if they're, if they're winning some battles, but not being able to apply that pressure that they're wanting, uh, I'm curious to see how they play in this game. They're going to be crucial, especially if they can get their hands up on some balls. That's something that USC has not done so far this season as well as the last year where they, you know, were able to bat a bunch of balls down with Yuchina Nwosu and Rasheem Green and other guys. They need to do that a little bit better to help out uh, those DBs. Even those DBs, I think, have been playing pretty well. Yeah, I actually talked to uh, Kenichi Desi this week about that, and he said with defensive linemen, you just have to get to a rhythm, and a lot of these guys are still feeling it out. Um, he, I, he started to say something to that effect, and I said, "Well, how much is that? Because you're you're working with such young guys on the D line." And he just went off. He was like, "Yet, yeah, not off in a bad way, but like agreed. Like it's so hard. People don't realize how young these guys are, and they're still learning a lot, and they're still getting in a rhythm." Um, you have guys who, I mean, Brandon Peely played half of the season. Marlon Tuipolotu played a couple games, so you're still getting those guys into a rhythm. And he said, "Replacing a guy like Uchenuoso is not easy." Um, and so he says these things come with time and getting in a rhythm. And, and he said, despite Wazoo's offense, they're not going to change anything. They're not going to try and change what they do. It's kind of that coach mentality of we're not going to change each week. We are who we are and we're going to play uh, up to that level. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach it. KU says it's not going to be any different, but uh, interesting talk to, talking to him. And that will be up later today. Yeah, Brandon Peely played half of last season. He also played half of the game. It's on. true, and we both asked coaches about that. KU said that uh, it was a internal thing. You heard from Clay Helton that it uh, he missed a meeting. Uh, some candid from from Clay Helton when KU didn't want to be candid, but uh, KU said that Peely learned a valuable lesson, and he'll try and and shore that up quickly. And they're going to need him. They're going to need that entire defense line because if Washington State gets their offense going at all, you're going to see a lot of plays. And the fact that you know a guy like Marlon Tuipolotu, I think he had to play uh, you know 50 or so plays in this past game. Uh, looking it up, he, he played 51 total plays. You know, I, I think that those guys are going to you know need to be able to get off the field on third downs, but also need to be able to rotate those guys in when they have an opportunity so that they keep guys fresh on, on that defensive front. I also have the third down machine. Oh, Amon Ross ain't Brown uh, because in the first half, you know, he played one full drive in the second quarter, 
Okay, he played two full drives. The one interception pass was a full drive, technically. <laughs> uh, we're not going to count that one. But besides that, he played one full drive, and that was the drive where Vi Malapai scored the touchdown after the Valus Jones long catch. Uh, and he was playing outside receiver there. The rest of the time, he came in as a third down specialist, basically. So first two, uh, the first three third downs USC gets into, Amon Ra comes on the field. He catches a pass, gets them a first down. Each uh, the first three times, all three of them. Uh, in the second quarter, they used him twice on third downs and once on a second down. The second down, he catches a forty-one yard pass. You know, and when he was in the game in the first half, he was making plays. Same thing in the second half, obviously. But I, it was interesting to see how they used him as a third down guy early in the game, and then later in the second half is when he started playing full time. Yeah, I think that's someone that that USC has to have on the field. How do you do you find a way to have him on more down instead of just third down as as we saw in the first half? I don't know. I mean, I like him in that third down role to an extent because you you bring him in and he does some things that are a little bit differently, uh, a little bit different, and he's fresh at the same time. So I I think if you're going to use all three of those guys that you can in the slot with Velas and and Trayvon Sidney and Amon Ra, then I think you can specialize to an extent. And then, you know, he gets some drives later in the game, uh, you know, and play, like I said, in the third quarter, he played every play uh, on offense. So he ended up playing 35 total snaps. Uh, Trayvon Sidney had 18, Valus Jones had 22. So he's going to play the most out of that group. But if you're going to use all three of those guys, I don't mind, especially early in the game, you know, using him in a specialty role like that because he's so good on that role. And we, we broke down some of those plays uh, in our film study. It's just looking at how he's able to get himself open in some of these different things. I really like the way he, he runs those routes. And if JT has that safety blanket in the middle of the field, that's really convenient on third downs. And you know he's going to get open. That's the big question, though. You said if you use all three guys there, should USC be doing that? Um, if you watched earlier today, it will be on replay. We talked to Max Brown, uh, former USC and Pitt quarterback, uh, on our live show, and he said maybe it is a little bit of an embarrassment of riches for USC. Too much talent where you don't really hone in on one guy. And he said from a player perspective, it might be hard getting in a rhythm if you're Trayvon Sidney, you get in one play that you know the ball's coming to you and you don't make your your shot and and you get in your head a little bit how much should USC try and nail down okay we this is our slot guy this is who we're using so they can get into a rhythm I don't know I mean it's it's tough because as a coach you want to use a lot of weapons that you have and those guys bring different elements um so I I know it's hard to kind of say what you would do I, I don't mind the way that they're using the guys I think that you could even rotate them more frequently in drives rather than saying, okay, you take the whole drive. You know, maybe it'd be every first down you switch somebody out and you just kind of, you know, keeping guys fresh at all times. And, you know, guys, as a receiver, I don't feel like that you have to get in a huge rhythm. Uh, as long as the quarterback knows where you're going to be. Now, that's the biggest thing. Is, is it for the quarterback? So the quarterback gets in the rhythm with, with who he's throwing to and that, at that slot position and he knows, okay, this guy is what, this is what he does. Um, if, if that's the case, maybe that's why you do it. But as a receiver, you're just running your route. It's not like you have to get in, in you don't have to really feel out a bunch of stuff. You kind of feel out the, the, the coverages and stuff and how they're, they're playing you in that regard. But to an extent, I, I think it's one of the, the positions where there's the least amount of trying to get into a rhythm. I guess so, but I still feel like there's always going to be that mental aspect. I mean, we talked about Devin Williams' second play of, of the Stanford game. He got thrown a deep ball. It's just hard to get in that mindset and get comfortable. If you're in a tough environment in Texas and you're getting thrown into the game, I feel like you have to at least account for some of that mental mental toughness. A little bit. 
<laughs> you're gonna agree to disagree with me pretty uh, much that's all i got for stock up you covered it I, I i had some other ones but in a loss like this it's hard finding stock up yeah there's not many stock ups do you, do you got anything else? No, I got nothing else. All right, let's go to stock down. I mean, you go stock up, you know, atmosphere in Texas. It was great. Ooh, that, but that's a heard it on the sidelines. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay. Uh, stock st- down. I, is, I think there should be a special category for stock crashing. <laughs> stock oh, wow. stock just done. <laughs> wow. USC special teams. So, like, you're taking it off the market stock. Maybe. Maybe. Off the board. I mean, you did ask Clay Helton after Texas game, should there be a change at special, team, special teams? Uh, props to you, by the way. That's a tough question to ask after a, a loss like that, but need to be said. Uh, it just at what it, it really, really hindered the game. If anything, you want special teams to just eh, you, you did your job, but it didn't really affect the game. At the point where you're hindering the game, I mean, the block field goal you said a million times. That's when the, the game was over. It changes the momentum so much when USC is trying to get back into it, and then you have punts with two different punters where are you better off going fourth down are you better off going for it because at that point you're not really flipping the field um and then you lose chase mcgrath to to an acl for the whole whole season and that's a tough tough break for him it's a weird non-contact injury um but just you and i in our emergency facebook live we're saying if this is the result that we're going to see for how much USC practices special teams, something needs to change. You can't keep practicing as much as they do. And and we did chart how much they practiced this week. It seemed like it got shorter or at least cleaner and tighter a little bit, a little bit tightened up. But it's just stock crashing for me. Stock crashing. Wow. They did have a 13-yard punt, a 29-yard punt, and a 22-yard punt in that game. That gives them now seven punts of 30 yards or less in the fir- in the first 3 games. That's I mean that you don't want that many for the season. That's just a bad number. Uh their best punt on the year is a 48-yard punt which was into the end zone so it's a net 28. They've only had a few punts between 40 and 40 the 40 and 47 yards. Uh the, so it, it hasn't been that unit has been very bad for them. Uh, they also gave up the fake punt earlier in the year. They missed a field goal in the Stanford game. They had a block, obviously the block field goal that changes everything in the the Texas game. Because if USC makes that field goal, and and there, granted there are like three other plays on that drive, you know, Monroe gets basically ridden out of bounds. Should have been a penalty, not called. Uh, there's a pass to Michael Pittman on third down. He's right at the sticks. If it's about four inches lower, he probably catches it for a first down. And obviously the, the field goal becomes much shorter, even if you don't get into the end zone. But if they make that field goal, it's 23 to 14 at that time. You make that field goal. It's now a six-point game. It's a one-possession game. You get a defensive stop, and suddenly you have the momentum going. And that's the one of the things. One of the things that's on my stock down is actually the ability to swing momentum. Yeah. USC has not been able to do that in the Stanford game or in the Texas game. Once things start going, and granted, it, when you're on the road, it's much more difficult. But they don't have that one play. They don't have. They can't draw up that one thing that's going to get things back in their uh, coming in their direction. You know, being able to you know get a big play, and all of a sudden you you silence that Texas crowd that got really loud. Uh, you know, no, they didn't have that when they were up fourteen three. That crowd was silent. It was. It was. That's why there's no excuses for, oh, it was really loud and whatever. They took the crowd out of it in the start of the game. Yeah. But you asked Clay Helton this week, how do you flip that? How do you keep 
confidence going even in a loss. And what do you have to say for that? He basically said that, you know, once they gain confidence, once they make some more plays and once they get more experience, they'll have more confidence. So really there wasn't much of an answer. Well, isn't that a chicken or the egg type of deal? Like you get more confidence if you play better, but how do you play better if you have confidence, you know? Yeah, kind of. And I, I think it basically comes down to they need to have a set, you know, there's three or four plays that you hold on to, like, all right, we need to we need something that's gonna swing the momentum. This is one of those type plays. Now that maybe that's a trick play. Maybe that's just something where you know we've seen this coverage. This is the play we're gonna save it for a minute. You know, we could we could probably try to get a big gain early in the game on it, but we're gonna save this for when we really need it. And I don't know that they have that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I got stocked down. I got the offensive line again. I got the tight ends again. Same thing as last week. Same. It's it's rough. <laughs> it's rough. The offensive line was was bad. It was just bad in this game. Uh, you know, the, when you only run the ball 16 times for negative five yards, now included in those are three sacks that cost them 26 yards. So you take away those 13 times for what did you get in 21 yards? That's that's awful. Like that, you're taking away the sacks. That's not. Even, it's just when you're running the ball. You they had almost as many negative plays when they're running the ball as they did positive plays. Um, so. There's guys coming through the line multiple times, you know, it and there's some decent play calls called up. There's a screen pass that we broke down where there's four offensive linemen with three defenders in front. Easily could have been a if not a first down game, if not even a bigger game than that, a chunk yardage play. Instead, no one gets blocked. Like and it's not just like, oh, well, one guy got by. No one. All, all three defenders go straight by the the offense lineman, and no one blocks anybody. It's that type of thing that's very frustrating when you're watching the game and you see like it's it's kind of repetitive too. You you'll see them; they'll get beat physically sometimes, but you'll see guys run through the middle of the line on a stunt, and nobody touches anybody. And they're kind of looking around at each other, like what just happened. Uh, it's just very frustrating to watch this offense line right now. Yeah, and and for as much as we, it's annoying to hear guys like T Martin say execute a lot of it sometimes is execution communicating I mean I you and I both think that T Martin did at least a good job of trying to account for the offensive line not playing as well and it still had trouble at times just because they're just not playing to the best of their ability right now yeah and there's some talented guys on there individually but as a group they're not doing well and you know you'll talk about it and heard on silent but the fourth down play they had an opportunity there the play call is good enough to get them in the end zone and they don't execute that at all you know the the both the tight ends allow penetration then you have via malapai trying to decide whether or not as a fullback you know how much does he practice this i don't know how experienced does he know where whether to stop and try to block somebody versus continuing on his path to block the cornerback he decides to block the one of the guys that comes through. Probably didn't have to. And instead, he gets a chop block called on it. So even if they would have scored, it wouldn't have mattered in that case. Um, it, it's just a lot of things that are not going right with the the blocking up front for JT Daniels and the running backs. Yeah, and like I said earlier, if you want to see that broken down even more, go to the pair style. We have that broken down. Uh, but in the same line, I have just blocking in general. I mean, the tight ends, it's a liability at this point. It's not, they're not doing well. And then wide receivers. I thought the wide receivers did not block well. If you're going to have a quicker game and you're going to have more screens and you're not, Trayvon Sidney uh, did not do a great job of blocking. If you're in there mainly to block, you should get your job done. Um, so I just think that the blocking in general was not good. Um, as far as tight ends go, though, this is one of my questions, but I'll move it up now. How much do you try and how do you alleviate your tight ends not doing a great job of blocking and then when they're targeted, not doing a great job of holding on to the ball either? 
Don't put them in the game. Yeah, is is it? I, I guess what I'm saying is, it, are we at that point? Uh, it's very close. I mean, you know, if you're not going to block and you're not going to catch the ball when it comes your way, now the tight ends had a couple of catches this game. Tyler Petit had two for nine. Josh Follow two for six. Uh, the very short yardage situations uh, or very short catches on those. Now USC used some four wide receivers once again. Maybe you see that become a more prevalent uh, formation for them. They've also used the three running backs and two. I mean, three receivers and two running backs occasionally. So uh, I, you know, those. The running backs are doing a pretty good job blocking, I think, uh, You know, as, a, as an overall unit. They're doing a much better job than the tight end, so maybe that's something you have to go to more. And then even you have an opportunity to use one of those guys as a lead blocker on run plays too, but in the passing game they've done that. But even sometimes, I mean, the one play we, we broke down where there's eight guys. <sighs> Max protection. Max protection. You keep in two tight ends. You keep in the running back along with the, your five offensive linemen. You run a two-man route on the outside. And granted, maybe the two-man route, was, maybe there wasn't an opening there, but JT Daniels should have had more time to make a decision on whether he wanted to throw it or throw it away. Instead, four four pass rushers is all Texas was bringing, and they were able to break right through and, and pressure JT. He has to throw the ball away. It's just like those type of things should never happen. Never Eight guys to block four, you should be able to block, make that every single time. And that's something that T. Martin said after the game. I think it's getting to the point where T. is a little bit uh, frustrated with having to answer for things that are not necessarily his fault. And he said, I don't know how we don't block those guys. I don't know how we don't do it. So how that gets figured out, if that gets figured out, I'm not sure. I mean, Texas's front is similar to Wazoo's in, in that sense. So how does USC make adjustments? Is it easier if you face something like that and you're facing it similar to the next game you're playing? Or is it like, oops, we have to play in, in a front that we weren't good against again? Yeah, a lot of motion, a lot of quick uh, quick attack type stuff that you're going to see from these fronts. And you, you'll see zone pressures, which Texas brought sometimes. And USC capitalized a couple times. You know, the first uh, or the second third down conversion of Amon Ross St. Brown was just that Texas, you know, overloaded one side and they couldn't get their defensive end back in time to kind of guard where Amon Ross St. Brown was going to be. So you have to take advantage of when they bring those zone pressures and, and when they bring those blitzes. You got to be like, oh, this is an opportunity. They're bringing extra guys. That means we got one on one. They can't cover all our guys. We're going to have openings. Instead, it's like, oh, no. They're bringing, they're bringing four guys. Oh, no. It, like, it seems like it's troublesome for USC when they bring four guys. Uh, so I, the, if they don't shore up the offensive line, this season is going to be rough continually. Um, and facing Washington State, it, yeah, you've just seen a lot of the same type of things. Can you block them against guys that probably aren't as good as Texas's defense alignment? Just because you know Texas usually gets a little bit better recruits than Washington State. So can you, if you can't block these guys against Washington State when you've just seen the same thing, that tells you all you need to know about the, the way the season's going to go. <sighs> I mean, this game in general, we'll get to it later. This game in general seems like a turning point of the season. Whether Possibly. whether it goes either way, I think it, it kind of dictates where this season goes. Uh, but who, Speaking of turnarounds, I got one more on stock down. Uh, I got third down switcheroo. Oh, so USC, I believe they were. I can't. I had the numbers written down on a different piece of paper, but USC was really good in the first half on third downs. Obviously, that's the uh, the third down machine. Amon Ross, St. Brown. Uh, I believe they were like they started six of seven. I want to say, and then after that, I think they went zero of eight the rest of the game. And then you look at Texas on the other side. Texas now Texas picked up a couple of big third downs that, that helped them out in their their early drives. They started the game four of eleven on third down in the first half. They finished the game six of eight, I believe. 
Wow. So it was basically a complete switcheroo, and you saw that USC was up 14-3, and then suddenly Texas scored 34 straight points. And if you convert on third down, the other team doesn't, you're going to win. Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, unless you're just giving up giant plays, <laughs> giant touchdown plays all the time on first or second down. But, True. yeah, if, if you are converting on third down and, and keeping the other team, uh, sending the other team off the field on defense, you're usually going to win the game. USC was doing that in the first half. They didn't do it in the second half. Mm-hmm. My last stock down is the refs. I feel like this goes without yeah. saying. It's it's pretty rough. I mean, it makes you wonder what if. I know football is a game of that, and, and USC did their own doing to lose. But what happens if that's a safety? What happens if, if they have 16 Should points? Should have been a safety. I know. So, I mean, how does that change the game? Almond Raw, does he get a PI there? All that stuff where you're just wondering what happens uh, if, if Port Augustine doesn't pop off the helmet of, of Sam Ellinger what happens there you know I Porter said that it was clear it didn't he wasn't trying to do anything dirty if you look back at the tape but he understands but still things like that where you wonder what if what if calls kind of go USC's way if the correct calls are made safety but you know so it's just stock down not yeah, good when the, when the national television crew is actually pointing out like USC can't get a call in this game then it kind of kind of stands out to you even more uh yeah USC did not get any calls in this game basically and when that happens you need something to steal the momentum back and USC that that's part of the ability to swing the momentum that's why it's stocked down because when things are going against you particularly on the road what do you do to counter that and USC doesn't seem to have anything. You know, it just seems like it snowballs on them. You know, bad call here, bad call there. But then, okay, well, now they got a third down conversion. Now they got this. So it just seems like things are compounding for USC rather than them being able to be like, it's okay. It was a bad call. All right, let's change change the outcome of the game on the next play rather than worrying about what just happened that last play. Yeah, and I don't think I've seen Clay Helton as just furious and angry at refs. Can you say <laughs> tell what he said? Uh... <laughs> No, we need to add a, a, a bleeping button to this if I do. But it, he was to the point where he was pointing at the rest and like, you, you, the other words were thrown in. But and then for the safety you call, bleep? yeah, a lot of bleepers. Uh, but when after the ref tried to explain to Helton why it wasn't a safety and Helton just gave him a death glare that made me think, I'm glad I'm not Clay Helton's like family member, because if you got in trouble and he's your dad, like that death glare was <laughs> daggers. So it was rough. Uh, but that's all I got for stock down. I could go on, but you know. True. Uh, how about I heard it? I heard you were it. down the sidelines. I know. I miss my sideline buddy, Mr. Shotgun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was crazy. The atmosphere was unreal. Record crowd of 103,000 plus, plus. 507, I believe. Uh, yeah, there you go. So it, it was a crazy, crazy atmosphere. Nothing like football in Texas. It was crazy. Uh, but obviously not unfortunate for USC. But for me... I thought there was a real change in the sideline. It was unimpressive what USC did at Stanford when it was a semi home game with so many USC fans there, and you have the 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 Trojan marching band right in your in your your uh, corner. But for them to come out in such a crazy environment and to play so well and to shut down the crowd in the first quarter, I didn't think this team was capable of it. I didn't think this team could like being the underdog and come out and silence a crowd like that. And it's like what I said in in instant analysis after the game is the first quarter showed who this team can be. Mm-hmm. But the next three quarters proved who they actually are uh, when put up against the the test. So. I thought that that might be a, hey, USC's an underdog in this environment. They'll shut down the crowd. They might win and, and then take this momentum into Pac-12 play. But obviously that didn't happen. They had a lot of energy in the first quarter. Is that right? 
yeah, they were hyped up. And I mean, Texas was really hyped up on the sideline, but it was the most we've kind of seen from USC in the beginning. And so many horns down, which is just and maybe maybe wait till after the game to do that. But yeah, they were definitely hyped up for at least the fourth, first quarter, but it kind of it definitely died after that. Yeah, a couple of things went against them, and again, once the momentum started rolling for Texas, it USC had no answer for it. Yeah, without a doubt. And you talked about this. You thought it was the the loudest crowd you've been with. Yeah, it was unreal. Um, I know I keep saying that, and people are like, "Yeah, we get it. Texas is great," but it it was a crazy environment. It was so loud, and part of the problem is that you have communication issues um we can get into the fourth and one play usc comes out of an injury timeout um and they're trying to get set up on the line and there's confusion there and that on that drive previously andrew Voorhees comes out with his mcl sprain so andrew Voorhees is still in the tent um and elijah vera tucker is on uh the side and are on in the game and he doesn't know what the call is and so you have chris brown trying to so Tolo Bendon's trying to communicate with JT Daniels. Chris Brown is trying to tell Elijah Vera Tucker what's happening. Also, you have Eric Cromanhook trying to get what's happening. But it was so loud that the players had to put their helmets face mask to face mask and like scream. You could see how hard they were trying to just scream and get the call. And they just looked so confused. At least Elijah Vera Tucker did. And they were they were trying to get the call in and get things settled, but it didn't look like they were settled once the play got going. And Max Brown brought up a, a good thing, a good point during our live show is that you can do so much in the huddle, but yeah. then once you get out and you see the front, then you have to make adjustments to the calls and stuff. And that appeared to be what USC didn't get. Or maybe Elijah Vera Tucker still just didn't get the play because apparently he was supposed to pull on that play. You know, as a toss sweep to the outside. Uh, you know, Chris Brown is pulling from the backside. It seemed like Vera Tucker should have been pulling on the front side as well, along with having Vi Malapai out there. Uh, so it, it seemed like if USC would have run the play correctly. And especially if they wouldn't, have, if they would have been to stop the penetration uh, that w- got by the tight ends, that's a touchdown. Yeah, which makes you wonder. And, and this is actually what started the whole said talking about practice is how much practice do they have full pads, goal line, red zone stuff? You know, I did. How much have we seen Vi be a fullback and run that play? You know, we haven't really seen that. Granted, they might do that on Thursdays when we don't see them. But how much practice do they have where they can come out? in that situation and be confident that they know what they're going to run and run it well. Yeah. There's a, you know, there's the fine line between, okay, well, we don't want to show anything while the media is there and yeah. we'll, we'll practice these things on Thursday. Cause there's some things we see in the game. We're like, Oh, well, we've never seen that before. Yeah. But then also you're going in basically helmets that day. Yeah. So you're just walking through. So you need to actually practice some things at full speed. And this is not, that is not the day for it. Sometimes you just got to say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to run this. And we're going to make sure nobody, you know, hopefully the media is not telling anybody. I mean, that's what we're not supposed to do, yeah. which we don't do. That's why you don't hear us sides. talk about anything we actually like formation-wise see in practice. Yeah. Uh, so so we'll see if they if they start doing that in the future. That's what I would advise them. Like, hey, at some point you got to start practicing, you know, the, the tough stuff in, in on the days when you have pads on. Or just do it. I mean, we don't get let in until 410. And they start practicing around like 345. So, ish. So do that. Run it before we get there. Do something. Maybe they are. Uh, we, could be. Could be. Um, in that same sense, I thought it the coaches, some of the offensive coaches, were at least more uh, fired up in practice this week a little bit. We, uh, Clay Helton was definitely yelling more. I know coming into the, the gate, 
coming walking past the the practice field before I got in on Monday, I could hear them practicing. Like usually you rely on whistles. I could hear on voices. Like there were people yelling. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I was like, maybe the marching band is out practicing or something. But it was the, it was the coaches. And Clay Helton was very into it, very active. Tim Drevenel was really on the scout team and making sure they were actually giving them a good look and being aggressive. And that's something that was missing. A lot of the times it seemed like the scout team was like a little bit of a walkthrough or uh, giving a ton of separation to wide receivers where that catch is easy. Whereas if you go in a game, they're not going to let you make that catch, you know? So it's good that we're at least seeing them make corrections in practice and, and be more aggressive on scout team. But at the same time, why does this need to be corrected week four? You know, I don't know. I'll, for my heart on the sidelines, since I wasn't on the sideline for the game, unfortunately, yes. I was in the press box. Uh, I actually, I'll go to practice this week when I talked to Brian Ellis about what he thought of JT Daniels. Um, and, you know, he, he said he's making those quick decisions. He, he's liking the progress that he's making. But I asked him, how do you adapt as an offense to kind of open things up when you're getting really quick pressure when the offensive line's not really doing their job? He said, well, we've got to give him some quicker options. And he said, I thought we did a lot better job of that in the Texas game. And he said, you're not going to have a ton of time at this level of football, especially when you play really good opponents. He said, that's going to happen. He said, you usually get between two and three seconds to throw a football. He said, I think the average in the NFL is 2.5 seconds. We probably at this level get 2.75. So you've got to get the ball out. The only thing is J.T. Daniels has not been getting that much time. When there's been pressure, it's been at 2.3, 2.4 seconds. So you're forcing him to do that. He said you've, we, you've got to figure it out a lot quicker than we've done. Again, I thought we got better at that last game. We've got to continue to improve, and I think we he will as the season goes along. So I, I think that they're trying to do some things on the offensive side to give him some quick options rather than just having you know long developing plays because of how quickly the pressure has gotten there. But I thought it was interesting that he basically gave out numbers of saying, okay, you know, in the NFL you usually get 2.5 seconds. Here you get 2.75. So USC, I mean, their offensive line need, needs to get him to that 2.75. I don't know if it's because he's still a little green, but Brian Ellis is a great interview. I, he gives a lot of detail and, and he's actually specific. There's not a lot of coach speak settling in yet. So it's always nice talking to him. Uh, my final heard it is I saw it on the sideline in practice this week. Uh, Tyler Vons usually practices without gloves. And this week he actually was practicing with gloves and he, and we asked him about it and he said, well, I figured I should start doing that because I have to do it in games. Um, so I should probably start practicing with it, which I, I don't know. I, to me, I'm like, why aren't you doing that earlier? If you're struggling or if you're not having chemistry with JT, why aren't you trying to mimic what you do in games, uh, earlier? Because... If you practice without gloves on, it becomes easier in the game. Sure, but why not practice practice like you play? I practice and played without gloves. Oh, look at you. They call me the web. <laughs> I'm catching everything. That's false. It's not true. That's, that's, yeah, that's it's true. not true. Thank you. Yeah. That's true. It's I, not I had true. a towel that said it on it. The web. Oh, this is another herded that I just thought of. Which is great. Go for it. Because uh, you said it's not true, which is going to come into it's play here. True. Someone, uh, the meet and greet at the key bar in Austin was great. You oh weren't there. Oh, my God. This is not true. I already know what's going on. <laughs> you weren't there. I heard some people ask for you where you were. I also met people who you bartended for earlier. Wendy mm-hmm. Dunn, shouts to her. Um, so <laughs> someone said, I'm here to tell you stock neutral. And Shotgun's going to say that you made it up. But I'm true. Stock neutral. So I swear to make this up. Stock neutral What's nation. What's person's name? We out there. Oh, shoot. Yeah, you I'm just sorry. Made it up. I think his name is Richard. Yeah, Not sure. sure. I'm sorry if I forgot No, that name. was Richard was the one I met <laughs> on the train. <laughs> okay, my bad. Maybe it's his name. I don't know. I he was wearing a black hat and a black shirt, I believe. Mm-hmm. You didn't believe when I had one. Anyways. I'm just saying. Moving yeah. on. Moving on. Moving on from these falsities. Agree, disagree. 
Uh, Clay Helton should make more constructive comments in post-game pressers. I mean, I think he should make more constructive comments in the post-game talks with the team. That's more important than what he tells the media. I know some people are aggravated by it. It would help to have more answers, you know, give a direction of where the team's going and make it seem like you know where the direction of the team's going rather than I, I know one of the and one of the most annoying tweets that I get is, you know, the Gomer Powell, uh, you know, tweets about Clay Helton saying that he's just basically a hick that doesn't know anything when obviously he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, so, but when you don't give any answers, that just leads into that, um, that storyline as well. Whereas, you know, I, I think he could give more answers, but also I think he's more of a cerebral type of coach where he likes to see the tape first. I know that's why he asks for it all the time. Um, so it goes both ways, I think. Yeah. I, 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 he actually addressed this a little bit in his Sunday uh, conference call. He said, when things are tough, I don't want to make the mistake of being upbeat to say that I don't have a care, a concern, and an effort level to make sure that our seniors um, are not Pac-12 championships, uh, champions again. Uh, when times are tough, you get to see exactly who you are and have the ability to leave. lead. I love being a leader, and I've been in this situation before, and essentially kids react how you react. So I think he has a positive face outward. I just think sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. I just... How do you feel about when you ask him about special teams? He goes, he gives a great vote of confidence for John Baxter when it's probably the worst special teams performance we've seen in his tenure. How do you justify that? It tells you that he has confidence in John Baxter, I guess. But I know it's it's a weird line because these are your coaches, your your guys you work with, and you're not about to skewer them to national to national media. But at the same time, you say, "Hey, we need to work, we need to clean things up." It wasn't a great performance, but I still believe in Baxter. I mean, essentially, well, he, he essentially what he said. <laughs> he basically said, "Well, the punters aren't doing their job, and we'll get the kicking figured out." Yeah, I guess so. I'm just trying to figure out how you how you balance that without sounding too optimistic. I don't know. I don't know. Agree, disagree. The wheels will come off if USC loses to Washington State at home on Friday. Hmm. That's tough. Yeah. I think I agree that the wheels will come off if the offensive line continues to play as it has been. What makes you think that is going to change? I don't expect a rapid improvement unless they play a lesser opponent. I mean, I, I think... Even still, they struggled a little bit against UNLV. I'll be honest. I think the wheels are off right now. I think USC's offensive line can put them back on. They're like the pit stop crew. They, <laughs> they, can, they can put the... <laughs> he can put them back on, but right now, I think the wheels are off and you're like waiting in the in the pit crew, like or waiting in the pit stall going, all right, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Put them back on. We got to get on the track. We got to get on the track. We got to get on the track. And until the offensive line decides to like lumber out there and put them on there, I don't think this team's going anywhere. I think the car is going to be sitting in the pit stall until the offensive line puts the tires on. That's a good analogy right there. I just killed that one. Wow. <laughs> He's humble, too. That's a NASCAR analogy right there. You guys didn't even know that was coming. There's just so many questions. I, I, just, I don't see that happening. But then, if you have a poor season, Clay Helen will get the blame. Where do you suss out where, what happens next? Well, Clay Helton has to make changes. Yeah, I know I've called for that. It's like after you lose two games, like they've done the last two games, there has to be some kind of change. Was there this week? Man, eh, not really. There was some. The coaches, the offense coaches, were more active, more uh, more vocal. I would say some of the YouTube comments on Instant were like, "Yay, they yelled more. Great." <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, so if if the same thing happens this week, you know what change can you make? And if Clay Helton doesn't make changes, I think Dan wrote this after the game is like. If you're not going to make the changes, then the change is going to be you. Yeah. 
I mean, that's why I did not come out of the UNLV game super positive. You, on the other hand, were a little bit different, but it just showed that nothing changed as far as coaching changes go, as far as changes that need to be made. I mean, if the O-line is not doing well, I mean, this is Neil Calloway's third year. I don't know. I don't like calling for people to job, but changes, changes need to happen. It's the same thing. I mean, if you don't make the changes, then the change is going to be you. And it's for the position coaches, and then it's even farther, and then it's the coordinators above them, and then it's the head coach above them. So if that, you don't make changes to what is below you, what you're controlling, then the change becomes you. You're the one that has to go. So in that sense, how how what is the warmth of Clay Helton's seat? I don't think Clay Helton's seat's that warm right now, just because of what he's stockpiled, uh, you know, in his cachet of what he's done so far. Um, but if you continue to have a bad season, if the season continue, if the season stays in the pit stall, then I think then that's when it becomes an issue. And we don't really know about Lynn Swan because we haven't seen any you know big moves that he's made so far. So it depends on you know how his feeling is more than anybody else's. And again, USC doesn't have a president right now, so are you really going to fire the football coach when you don't have a president? Yeah, because usually the president's going to have some say in that. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Yeah, and Lynn Swan was at practice this week. I think it was Tuesday's practice, and we don't see him a lot. So Probably the third time this fall, I think. I you, remember, you think it was more than that. But. A little bit more than that. Uh, but I do remember at the Stanford loss, you, Lynn had a long conversation with Clay before he talked to the media in his post, uh, post-practice interview. So, yeah, it's, it's really a mystery with Swan and how all those factors come into play. Um, but if USC wins, what, do you, what does that mean for this season? It doesn't mean a ton for the season. It depends on how they play in the if they win. If yeah, they win, and the offense line certainly is playing better. And you see some change uh, being affected, then and you think, okay, well maybe they can make a little bit more change, a little bit more change. Then you know this season can build upon itself. But until they you, they show us something, show us doing something different, show us a punter that's going to kick the ball consistently forty yards. You know, you're just going to assume that it's going to be the same. Yeah. And so in that sense, moving on to our question portion of the of the pod, you predicted USC would go three and two this month. I did. They still have that option. But does it feel that way? Does it? I mean, if you get to the end of this month, does it still feel like, oh, it's three and two, but they're still positive? Or how does this feel to you? I think it depends on how they play the next two games. And if you feel like there's progress being made, then, yeah, you feel like, OK, we lost the two tough teams. We're going to start playing better. Uh, and, you know, we're going into Pac-12 schedule. We're, we're you know we're playing it a little bit better now. I think you feel that way, but if it's kind of you know if it's the Colorado game last year or even the Utah game last year where you feel like whoo we got to win, not okay we won that yeah let's keep going yeah it, it felt more like a relief that you got the win rather than you know excitement that you got it. Uh, I, I think it depends on that as to how you're feeling after the first month. But again, I, I thought they'd start three and two. That's still quite possible. I mean, this game's going to be much tougher than I think than even next week because Arizona has not showed us anything so far, uh, trying to force Khalil Tate to be a pocket passer. Um, so I, I think you're you're on the path where you're kind of at a fork. You know, do, you're looking at the line graph and it forks you know up and down. Do they go? Do they start making progress and go up, or do they continue to go down? So yeah, I don't know. Do you feel like T. Martin is calling plays that? are equal to the ability of his players? 
That's tough. I mean, you're calling some screenplays and stuff. You're trying to do these quick hitters to alleviate some of the pressure. And instead, your offensive line is not getting out and blocking guys on some of the screenplays and different things. I think he's doing a pretty good job. I thought the Texas game plan was pretty good. Um, And with what has been going on with that offensive line, I just think those offensive linemen have to do a better job. I mean, if you have four guys and there's three defenders – at least block one of them. I mean, come on. At what point does it just, do you not, do you just be like, all right, we got to bench everybody because this unit just does not work at all. Like, and I know the backups are the backups for a reason, but at some point you just got, like, we got to change something. At least like, you know, you know, if they have a bad drive, be like, all right, second team go in there. I don't care if we go three and out on this next drive. You guys are sitting because you're playing like crap. Yeah. At what point does it really make a difference in that sense? Like if they're not going to block anybody, why not see what your second team can do and give a little jolt to your first team? And the bad thing is, like when they do block, like when Chuma gives a lot of effort, he will take guys back six yards on on run plays and stuff. And you know when Toa is able to get out in front of things, you see that what these guys can do. Like you said, the first quarter, you see what this team can be. Yeah. The rest of the time, you see what they are. Exactly. So, I mean. The interesting thing I was talking to Max Brown today, how much full pads makes a difference for the line, the O-line and the D-line. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, just for the sake of improving your O-line, do you just try and do more full pads just so they're more aware or more used to it? Change something. I know. I and, know. And you look at, you, you see the 23-yard t- touchdown run that Stephen Carr makes. Now, Stephen Carr, that could easily have been a three-yard run. Stephen Carr, you know, hits a defender with a shoulder, powers through it, and continues on. But you see the action up front and before that. Tyler Petit gets a block, throw he, you know, he reaches around a guy and is able to throw him to the ground. He does a nice job getting inside the guy for the run. Stares him down a little bit too. <laughs> Austin Jackson gets to the, you know, helps out, gives a little, get a little tap to the guy that that Tyler Petit's uh, doing. You know, just a, a baby combo block there. But he gets to the second level. He picks up the linebacker, takes the linebacker basically into the path of another linebacker. So he's blocking two guys. So now instead of three guys being there when Stephen Carr gets to the second level, there's only two. And, you know, one guy, Stephen Carr hits with his shoulder. The other guy, you know, doesn't make the tackle. Stephen Carr is gone. And I, I said when we were watching the, the, the game is like that game, that run right there is good from 99 yards. That's a touchdown from 99 yards, touchdown from 50 yards, touchdown from 23 where they're at, touchdown from two yards. doesn't matter. Because once he broke that tackle, he was gone. Nobody was catching him. There was nobody there. It was one of those type of plays. The safety was there. The linebacker was there. Once he breaks free, he's gone. And that's what your running backs can give you. Stephen Carr can do. That's what, you know, Ocasedric Ware can break tackles and get out in the open field. You know, but you have to block so they can get to that second level. What you saw the rest of the game, they never got to the second level. They were getting hit in the backfield, and they didn't have an opportunity to go break a tackle. You see Stephen Carr on some of these runs. The very first run, we spotlighted on the, the breakdown if you get a chance to watch that, but the very first run, he goes outside. He makes the first guy miss. That's what he does. He can make that first guy miss, but then there's two other, three other, four other guys there. He's not making five guys miss in a two-yard span. No, yeah. Not even Reggie was doing that. <laughs> the 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 goat? Yep. Um, We have a... Semi-long question from Josh from the Mojave Desert. He wants our thoughts, so he kind of we'll we'll get into it. He says, "Unfortunately, what USC fans are seeing right now is the reemergence of the real Coach Helton. I say reemergence because we got a chance to see his true self also in 2014 when the Trojans started four and one. Sam Darnold was extremely 
was an extremely rare talent. His greatness covered up Coach Helton's ineptitudes with a Rose Bowl win and a Pac-12 title. There will be no Sam Darnold to come in and turn things around for Helton this time. If you're looking for evidence, just look at Darnold's first game in the NFL. I think there's a real possibility that the Trojans go 5-7 and seven this year with no bowl game. What are your thoughts? I disagree with that, um, but I don't think they'll go 5-7. and seven. I think this, the floor is 7-5. and five. I've said that before, I believe, on the show as well. But I don't buy into the whole thing. I think Sam Darnold helps out covering up some stuff. He helps out covering up the offensive line ineptitude to an extent because he can make guys miss himself and get out of the pocket. But I think that's what it's covering up. Not necessarily that Clay Helton can't coach. I, I think that, that maybe that Clay Helton is – too loyal to a fault and it did not make some changes with the offensive line, uh, you know, previously. Um, and, you know, that they brought in Jim Drevno to help out, that's a good thing. Now, why are we not seeing the impact of that? What What is the issue with the offensive line? I think the offensive line is the whole key to this team. I don't think it's Clay Helton. You know, I don't think he was, you know, beholden to Sam Darnold and Sam Darnold was the only reason that, that the USC did okay uh, in the last couple of years. I don't think that's the reason. I think Clay Helton has a good system. You know, the players respect him. You know, talking to Max Brown, he said the same things. You know, players respect him. The players, you know, really try hard. You know, but... If your offensive line doesn't play well, you can't do anything on offense. Yeah, I feel like I half agree with it. I think there are going to be some struggles when you have a first-time head coach and at the time a first-time offensive coordinator. Um, I think Sam Darnold was a great talent, as you can see. I think the difference you're seeing this year is that, at least last year, Sam Darnold had the experience um, plus talent. This year you have the talent of JT Daniels, but you have the inexperience. Good point. And so sometimes that's where you see the, uh, things go wrong or JT not knowing how to do certain things or Sam Donald did. And so you have that combo of coaching plus talent plus inexperience. And that's why you're seeing a different outcome. You can't. And at the same time, like and we've heard this from a lot of the coaches is like you are replacing Deontay Burnett. You are replacing Ronald Jones. You are replacing Sam Donald. You are replacing a Uchenna Nuosu. You know, it's, I know USC is really talented and I know USC fans expect players to just come in and be a plug and play and be like, oh, it's a video game. You replace this guy. It's going to be perfect. And it's not always like that. And I know it's kind of hard to hear that. But at the same time, these are young guys that are still developing. So, yes, coaching is definitely an issue at times. But it's also these are young guys and inexperienced guys. And they're not going to be as perfect as you might see a Rojo who's been playing for three plus years. Agree. Wow. Agree. For once. Um, any final thoughts? Uh, we predicted scores in our live show. I thought this might be a win for Wazoo. Could what, be. You think it's a win for USC? Yeah, I don't think they cover the spread, which is three and a half, but I think it'll be a close win, potentially. You know, the tough part for USC is the defense has to completely, you know, is revamp what they've been doing the last couple of weeks. You know, it's a completely different offense that they're going to face. You know, Texas does have some spread principles, uh, more than Stanford or UNLV, but... Uh, Washington State brings a completely different offense, and USC has to learn that on a short week. So I think it's going to be challenging there, and the USC offensive line has to deal with that zone pressure and you know those quick defensive linemen that are going to be undersized. Now, what I would do is just run it straight at them, run it right down their throats, and use force those younger, uh, those uh, smaller defensive linemen to make some plays, getting by your bigger offensive line, and. You know, if USC can do that, then they can. If they can control the line of scrimmage, it'll be a much different game. I just think I think USC the short week is going to affect them. I think this is not a team that if things if 
if Wazoo comes out and scores right away, I don't think that they can turn things around. Like you said, I don't think they have the mental toughness to flip the, the, the script and come back. I think if you pressure this O-line enough, this offense can't really get anything going. And I don't think that we've seen enough offensive production from USC for me to be confident that they can pull through in this one. Well, what are you talking about? If they get a score, you know, the crowd, the, the USC Coliseum crowd on a Friday night <laughs> is going to really boost them to a win, right? All 14 people at the Coliseum. <laughs> yeah. If you have a chance, get out to the stadium, but, you know, just realize that parking is not going to be great. You're not going to be able to tailgate at all uh, on campus. So I don't know what to tell you. It's going to be rough. Probably. It's, it's probably traffic? not going to be the greatest crowd. Friday traffic. Try Take, the the Take the Metro. Take the Metro. Go Metro. Ooh, Ryan if you are no. near a, if Ryan is shaking his head, but if you're near a light rail line, take the metro. Sure. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, nah, I'm thinking I'm done. Alrighty. I'm uh, done here. Thanks for listening to our podcast on a Thursday. We'll be back next Thursday for another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. As always, you can email us familyfeudpod at gmail.com. We appreciate your emails. We appreciate it very much. Um, I last podcast I said the angels someone sent me something about the angels it was Daniel he was like I feel like you didn't read my email I did Daniel don't worry I did so shout out to you (laughs) but that's gonna wrap it up for today's podcast for shotgun smiling I'm Keely or for more check out uscfootball.com that's my instant analysis outro but it works for this too we'll see you guys next week